And I want to preach to you for just a few minutes uh, because I know that sometimes it's just hard to keep our attention connected when we're on video and you're not here. So we're going to talk tonight about what is going on. You know, I do know that there is a coronavirus covering the earth. And I know that it is taking human life. I know people are dying. I know that they are quickly trying to resolve the problem and the issue, but it has changed our life. It has changed how we do church. It's changed how we minister to people, how we shop, how we get get. It's changed everything. And I wondered, God, what's the purpose? And you know, sometimes the Bible says in Daniel that the secret things belong to the Lord. In other words, there are things that God does and there are things that he reveals to us that he's going to do. But I wonder what is going on. I mean, I've heard from people that, you know, it's a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment. Repent ye and, uh, you know, call upon the name of the Lord. He'll heal your land. And I think all of those, I'm not judging anybody uh, in who is right or wrong because the Bible says let all things be proved. And so things have to have times. And I think this is one of the times that things have to be proved and we don't need to jump on bandwagons and start dividing the body of Christ because these people are right, these people are wrong, I agree with these people, I agree with those people. I agree with God. And now I do agree that this is not God. And I agree that it can be and will be the greatest moment for God's people. I'm going to talk to you tonight about a word called transition. Uh, maybe a better word would be an interlude. In other words, a time that is in the middle of something that is taking place. It is uh, what we call it uh, in the middle of, of a play that we break up, half of the play is done, and then the end of the play is about to come. That is an interlude. That is a time of transformation. Now, you may not see everything is taking place in that interlude or that pause in activity or that transition, but as the lights are dim, as the curtains are drawn, as they are giving us a time of intermission, where we get to have a cup of coffee, or eat a donut or popcorn or a hot dog, whatever it might be. During this intermission time, they are arranging everything. And they are arranging it for a great end. In other words, the end is going to be better than the beginning. You know, and that's God's nature, that God always takes and makes the latter end greater than the former. Now, here is what the word transition means. It means the process of a period of change. It means from one state, changing from one state to another state. The word 
interlude means a pause between performances. It means a pause, stop. And then it also means, it's like in music, we do it here at the church, and you probably notice it, it's like in a music, a moment where the uh, modulation of music is changed because you're about to go into something that is faster, something that we are looking forward to. Then this is an interesting. It says, transition, interlude, is the process by which a person permanently adopts the outward physical characteristics of a gender with which they identify. It means as to be opposite or to be transformed into the opposite of the identity, your physical identity that you were born with. And so what happens is when you make that transition, you go from one gender, one identity that opposes what you were born with, and you end up being known, looked at, and recognized as the identity that you have transformed into. And then it is this, a process or a period of change from one state to another. So where are we and what is going on? I believe that you and I are in the midst of the divine transformation. I believe that we are right in the midst of the carrying out of the gospel, the fulfilling of God's will, and I believe that we are right now in an intermission, as it were. This coronavirus has caused us to take our attention off of religion, off of just assembling as a church, and we are recognizing that there is a time of transition, and in fact, lots of people are going through transition. They're getting their prayer lives together. They're getting their relationship together. They're putting off the old. They're putting on the new. Well, we're going to talk about transition. We're going to talk about intermission. We're going to talk about the time that you and I stop and get our eyes off everything else and focus down to the next thing that God is about to do. We are in a time of preparation. And the latter end is going to be greater than the former. Now, in Acts, the uh, seventh chapter and verse 24, I'm sorry, verse 54, it says this, And when they the Pharisees, heard these things about Jesus, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him, Stephen, with their teeth. Here we see a rejection of the gospel. We see a hatred for the carriers of the gospel. That almost brings us to the moment of time that you and I are in in this nation, that people hate the gospel. They hate the assembly of the righteous. 
They hate righteous people. They hate people that carry a message of hope. And when they begin to reject God, the hatred towards the body of Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, begins to be put under scrutiny and under attack. And if you'll go to Acts the 8th chapter and verse 1, this is where we get into one of the symbolisms of the transformation, the uh, uh, part in between one act to the other act, the interlude. And it says, And Paul was consenting unto his, Stephen's, death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made great havoc of the church, entering in into every house, hailing men and women, and committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, this is not Philip the disciple or Philip the apostle, this is Philip the deacon. And it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed under those things which Philip had spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many and they were, that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and they and the were lame and were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Now let's set the scenario. Jesus has called the church his last recommendation and commandment to them as he ascends up into heaven. He says this, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. They that believe shall be saved. They that believe not shall be damned. Now the church starts out totally infused with the fire of the Holy Ghost. But then years later as the church begins to flourish, as the church begins to excel in growth and in numbers, then comes problems. The reason the problems rise up is because people get their mind off their purpose. They started saying, well, our widows are not cared for, which they needed to be cared for, but if they simply would have taken it upon their self, you see a need, meet it. But they didn't. So here comes this contention. Now, when the contention starts, you begin to see from chapter 6 on through till Stephen's death, you begin to see a great law in the multiplication of the church or God adding to the church. So what happens? Well, just as the world starts hating the church, hating the message, there rises up persecution. Now, Paul is not of God. Paul is of the adversary, and he does what he does in unbelief, skepticism, with great violence against the church. 
And Paul, he does this in unbelief, so he doesn't know. But he begins to execute persecution on the church. Now see, from the time that the church was the church to the time that Paul begins to persecute it, there has come this great law, this interlude, this intermission of the activity of the church and the purpose of God. And when that happens, here comes persecution. And so automatically the persecution comes to the church at Jerusalem. What happens? The church is scattered during this time that God gets involved. Now realize that persecution has come, not from God, but from the adversary. And remember, Jesus even himself spoke to Paul and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. So we know that it wasn't God persecuting Jesus. It was Paul persecuting the body of Christ, the church. So in this time, what happens? God begins to transform the church. He begins to bring the church back to its true identity. It begin, he begins to take the church from the weary, the lukewarm, the unrespondent, the disobedient of going into the world. They went to Jerusalem, but no place else. But God begins to stir them. And even though they're in persecution by the enemy, God is doing something in stirring and rekindling fires to do what? Remember, a transformation is to take someone that has a birthright and change their physical characteristics into a new identity. Well, we were born sinners, but now God in this interim of this pressure of this persecution when we think God's not doing anything the church is going under the church is closing up oh man this is a blow to the church no God is working in this interlude and he is while there has been a stopping of our activity God comes and transforms us and we begin to put on the identity of the body of Christ again and that's what God is doing in this time of intermediate that God has said, stop. The coronavirus virus has come and it's put a halt on everything. But it hasn't put a halt on God. It hasn't put a halt on God's purpose for your life. God is working and God is transforming people and he is positioning them. Philip goes down takes upon the identity of the church, obedient servant, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and he transforms this whole region of Samaria. And he does it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philip had become, as it were, the fullness of a new creature. And then let's go to Mark, the ninth chapter, and verse... 14, Mark, the ninth chapter, and verse 14, and we're going to read, well, we might not read it all. Uh, let's go to uh, 
the 14th chapter, 14th verse, I'm sorry, Mark 9, 14, and it says this. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whosoever, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away, I spake to thy disciples, and that they should cast him out, but they could not. And he answered him, saying, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. He fell down on the ground, and he wallowed, foaming. And he, Jesus, asked his father, How long ago was this since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the water and destroyed him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And Jesus saw that the people came running together, and he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter him no more. And the spirit cried, rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose, and when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus tells them, this kind comes out not, but by prayer and fasting. Notice verse 26. When the Spirit comes out of him, he falls on the ground as one dead. In fact, some said, he is dead. How would they have said that without inspecting him, looking at him, checking his pulse, wondering and examining him. What has happened? Well, from the time that Jesus cast out that devil, it was intermission time. It was transformation time. Things were being moved around in the kingdom of God. The stage was being set for the miraculous power of God to be shown. Now it looked like it was all over. It looked like, well, the devil has won. It looked like the boy has expelled his life. It looks like he's dead. He, now the father has lost his child. But that was not true. There was an interlude going on. In other words, an arranging of things that was about to transform and cause the latter end to be greater than the former. God was setting the stage for Jesus Christ 
to be glorified and for men to have faith in Jesus that they might be saved. It was a time that when Jesus was there in this intermission of what the devil was doing, God pauses the activity of the devil. He just stops it and he changes scenes. And during this, Jesus changes the attitude of the disciples. You need to pray and fast. Do you think maybe during this time that God is calling the church back to a time of prayer and fasting? A time that we can rise up in authority and faith and demonstrate the defeat of Satan? The stage has been set. Jesus is there. The enemy has been glorified. But now God is about to unveil his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, this young man, they think he's dead. But Jesus reaches down and takes him up, and the end of the play is far greater than the beginning. What is God doing? I believe that God, during this time of affliction by the devil upon humanity, that God has called our attention, and we're saying, God, what can we do? What should we do? Can we rise back up to our rightful place? And Jesus says, by prayer and fasting. God gives us an answer. I think that God may in this intermism be calling us back to a place of prayer and fasting. I think that God is enabling us to get ready to see the demonstration of the power of the resurrection of things that we have thought the devil would never let go. And I believe that. I believe that God is positioning you and I in a place that the latter end will be greater than the former. I believe that. I believe that God is in the midst of doing something right now. The devil has been active, but God has not been silent, nor has he been inactive on our behalf. God has paused everything in order to cause the church to rise up and embrace their real identity in Christ. Transformation in the middle of opposition. That's what I believe. I believe that God is changing us. And in every act of faith, there is this interlude. There is this intermission that takes place that we don't see anything being arranged or anything being rearranged or anything being changed. But the fact of the matter is that God is always working on our behalf. Let's go to Luke, the 17th chapter. And the 17th chapter and verse 11. Luke, the 17th chapter and verse 11. Hallelujah. Thank God that God has all power and he can pause the activity of the devil and strengthen 
regather, birth the fullness of the identity of who we are in this world and cause the latter end to be greater than the former. God may have paused your life many times, but only to bring you out in a new place of glory. Luke, the 11th chapter, and I'm sorry, 17th chapter and verse 11. And it came to pass that as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. It amazes me how the Samaritans were cast off. They were intermixed. They were, as it were, half-breeds. They were rejected by Israel. But now, when an affliction hits a group of them, Galilee and Samaria become one. Have you noticed that the world is becoming united and that people are hearing people that they would never listen to before? But these two groups of people meet and they are smitten with leprosy. And these lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, this is the stage set. Ten lepers, hopelessly diseased, rejected, set aside, pushed out away from society, useless, contagious, don't touch, don't fellowship, don't get near. But in the midst of this, they call out upon Jesus. And when they do, what happens? Pause. God causes a divine pause. And Jesus changes their course by saying, go show thyself to the priest. Now, as they are heading to the priest, God starts changing the stage. Healing starts taking place. And every step that they take, they get cleaner, they get whole, parts are growing back, thumbs, feet, lips, ears are all being recreated. What has happened? God has paused the work of the devil. And God has released a new scene for their life. And that scene is that they glorify Jesus Christ. And so, you and I, we're all in this together. No one, as I'm going to say this, and I say it very 
weekly. No one is beyond this, but we know that we are. But we are still in a world that is struggling with this virus. But I believe that God has caused a pause in all of the political rhetoric, all of the scenes where people are hateful against other people, races and racism and, and all of this division. I believe God has just paused. Just stop. Let's change the scene. Let my people who are known by me and called by my name, let them rise up and be transformed with the physical characteristics of their true identity. Let us begin to be men and women of prayer and fasting. Let us begin to be men and women of obedience to Jesus' declarations for our life. Can we just take this time that we are on hold, pause, and let God set the stage that the latter rain will be greater than the former, that God will allow us to embrace our identities that we may have laid down in the past, but it's time to pick it up, put it on, and be the church, and that's who we are. We are called to be the lights of the world, not a dimming factor, a light factor. And so I'm telling you that I believe that we are in the midst of transformation. I believe that we are in the midst of a pause, divinely. Not that God brought it, don't don't take that. He did not bring it, but he causes a pause inactivity. Remember that times and seasons are in the hand of God, Daniel, the second chapter. And God can pause when God chooses to pause. And he needs the church to rise up and be the church. Let us put off that old man that seemingly has creeped itself back up on us. Then one more, James the first chapter. James 1, 1 says these words. Let's go to verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Because God can use those moments that get your attention for a moment to pause. Judge yourself. What are you doing? Where are you going? What is your goal? What is your purpose? And it says this, when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, here we are to use our faith. When we use our faith, here comes persecutions. Here comes diverse temptations. The only reason it comes is to distort your faith, get it off course, to cause you to doubt God, 
to cause you to let go of your goal or of your faith pursuit. But then the Bible says this, that during that intern, that you need to be thankful and just set up places of praise and thanksgiving so that God can do what? He can change the scene. That patience can get set up to be active on your behalf. And the latter end of all of this is that you will want nothing or lack nothing. And so what God does during every faith venture is that there are times to pause. There are times to pause. The Bible says this, judge whether you are in faith or not. What is that? A pause. We see pauses all the time. We see the vision that God wants to do for us in a promise. But then when we start faith, all these things start happening. But what God will do is say, wait, pause. Are you giving me time to set the stage that the latter end can be greater than the former? I want you to pause. Just stop and start acknowledging me giving me my due acclamation, my praise. Give it to me. Don't forsake your faith. Pause your activity. And then let me reset the stage and bring you forth as men and women that have moved my hand. And I think that's what God is doing to the body of Christ. He's called us because of this affliction from the enemy. He's called it right now, pause, an interlude, a transformation time. Stop. Let God reset the stage for the next act. And I believe that the next act can be revival that will shake this world. I believe that God is about to make the latter end greater than the former. If you've had things paused in your life, if you've had things that you think are on hold, you think that, well, you know, it seems like everything stopped, nothing's happening. Oh, God is not idle. He has set in motion a divine pause. There is, as it were, a time to take a break. Adjust yourself because God is about to break forth and you are about to rise up. Hallelujah. Okay, so I want to encourage you. This is your greatest hour. It's the church's greatest hour. Praise God. And I believe that God is going to bring the greater end, far greater than the beginning. Hallelujah. Now, tomorrow night, don't forget to join us for a line of hope. A line of hope. And all we can do in these times right now is only believe. So join me tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Prayer requests, invite people to join us. 
uh, people that are, you know, sick, people that are dealing with life and death situations, people that are being uh, tormented by the devil, by the adversary. Join us, the deaf, the dumb, the blind, the halt, the crippled. Join us tomorrow night as we reach out and touch one another with a line of hope. God bless you. Don't forget Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Now, I know that you can tune in later, but I know that you are going to turn, tune in on time. Let's do it together as a church. Let's not half of us here and half of us not. Join us on time. You can do it. 10 o'clock. You do it every Sunday morning. You can do it this Sunday morning. God bless you. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, let your goodness, your mercy, God, go before us. God, open up pathways of favor. God, I decree blessing and protection over the body of Christ. I produce, God, that, God, we will not be touched by this virus, but that, God, you will raise up a standard in the middle of this battle. God, we thank you for this time of pause that we can prepare the stage that you will break forth with a new glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, or tomorrow night on The Line of Hope.